Explore presents a reading from Strangers Like Angels with a devil or two to boot by Alec and Jan Foreman. and I would like to say thank you for listening to our podcast. If you have any questions, do please write to alecjan at gmail.com and do write podcast in the subject line. Thank you. Chapter 11, Open Doors, 24th to the 30th of March, 1977, Nigeria. In the morning, we were fortunately up and dressed and had eaten breakfast before the traders called by. Sellers of doughnuts, bananas, bread. Even a Land River salesman came along. Being in Africa, we had learnt that life is not controlled by the time on your watch. It's more important to welcome unexpected visitors and graciously pass the time of day. Hence, we were surprised when we reached the insurance agent's office to find that he was annoyed at our being 30 minutes late for our nine o'clock appointment. We apologised, rather red-faced. After the necessary paperwork and handing over the required fee, we received the documents to prove that we had third-party vehicle insurance for Nigeria. That was a requirement for every country we visited. As the insurance office was in downtown Kano, we had earlier gone in our Land Rover and parked along the street. A gang of teenage lads crowded around Alec as he got out, all wanting to guard our vehicle. He chose one, and the rest ran off hopefully to the next car parking down the road. It was crazy in the market, as so many people were out and about, and we could hardly see what was for sale. Traders had their goods spread out on the ground, creating so many obstacles underfoot that I was afraid I would step on something or somebody. As we walked back to the Land Rover, laden with groceries, the many beggars who sat along the rough pavements pestered us. One old lady, a leper, was holding out a rusty can cradled in her fingerless, gnarled, stubby hands, covered with open sores. Her toeless feet were bound in grubby strips of cloth. The effects of the crippling disease had misshapen her face. I dropped a coin into her can, a pittance, but she was thankful. We went on our way, as we could, walked away from the poverty and suffering that we saw. We were just passing through, but it tugged at my heartstrings and disturbed my thoughts. Now to find fuel, Alex said as we climbed back into the Land Rover, having paid the teenage guard for his services. I was talking to Tim this morning before we left the campsite, and he said there's a fuel crisis here in Nigeria. Apparently it happens every year when the fuel depot at Port Harcourt closes for the one-month vacation. Our search for petrol took all afternoon as we crisscrossed the bustling streets to locate garages. We knew when there was fuel by the queue of vehicles at the pumps. Fortunately, we only needed to stop at three garages to find enough to fill up. It might have been in short supply, but at 43 pence a gallon, we were not complaining. Our departure from the city was late, and night was fast approaching. 
It took a long time to find a suitable parking place along the unlit country roads. We normally avoided driving at night because of the hazards en route. There could be farmers walking home along the edge of the road, stray animals wandering about, and vehicles with only one rear light working pretending to be a bicycle. Devilish potholes also lay in wait to jolt and jar your body when the Land Rover hit one as it trundled along. Well, it can't be helped. This will just have to do, Alex said. He pulled off the road onto the verge of a ploughed field, glad to turn off the engine. It was a quiet location and no one disturbed us as I prepared supper. We ate, then soon after I'd finished the washing up, we settled for the night. Alec was out for the count as soon as his head touched the pillow. It had been an arduous day, one way or another. A tropical lullaby of singing crickets and croaking frogs sent me off to dreamland. What was that? I awoke, startled by the sound of sirens. Vehicles screeched or halt, car doors opened and slammed shut. Headlights glared through our back windows, softened by the blind. Alec, wake up! I frantically shook him, but he pulled the duvet closer around his head, not wanting to be disturbed. A firm knock at our back door. My heart beat fast, my innards quivered. I grabbed a sheet to wrap around me, crawled to the end of the bed and unbolted the door. Climbing out of the Land Rover, I shielded my eyes from the bright lights. Three black policemen stood before me. What's wrong? asked the officer in charge. Nothing. We're trying to sleep. Oh, is that so? And where are you from? England. We had trouble finding fuel, so we were late finding a place to stop for the night. Well, as soon as the sun rises, you'll have to move on. Yes, of course, officer, I said, relieved that we could remain until the morning. I climbed back into the Land Rover and closed the door as the police cars drove off. Alex snored contentedly. I didn't disturb him, but tried to recapture that elusive sleep. At dawn, we were promptly off and away, hoping to avoid any further encounters with the police. It was probably just as well you didn't show your face last night, Alec. That policeman might have become more forthright, demanding to see our documents, maybe hoping for a bribe. Yes, you've charmed him away like a dream. Well done. Our journey took us through bushland. Fulani herdsmen were walking alongside their long-horned lean cattle that grazed on the sparse dry grasses. The track traversed several muddy rivers via wood plank bridges. The sandy land around the villages was farmed and the sown seeds awaited the rains. The Hamerton wind blew dust down from the Sahara, forming a haze over the landscape. Village women with ebony skin wore bright, bold patterned wrap-around ankle-length skirts with matching tops and headscarves. Babies nestled on their backs, held in place with wide bands of cloth. Young toddlers ran naked, several with big bellies and umbilical hernias. Girls were in ragged dresses, boys in holy shorts and t-shirts. Many men dressed in traditional robes with a pillbox hat and others were in casual European clothes, particularly the young men. After 143 miles driving through the bush, we reached Joss, a key destination.
Before we left England, Alec and I had the long-awaited celebration to send us off on our married life together. We even had a service of blessing on our marriage at St George's Church in Brentwood. Call it superstition or whatever, but it seemed a good idea to have God on our side as we prepared to set out into the unknown. All the family was invited, but just my four aunts came, dressed in their fur coats to ward off the cold wintry weather. There was still that sting in the town, left over from our exclusive wedding almost three years before. I wore a glamorous off-the-shoulders pleated floral chiffon full-length dress in shades of pale peach and apricot. Over the dress I wore a long Wuthering Heights cape, complete with hood made in heavy chestnut brown satin. Both were my handiwork, made in between the soft furnishing projects for the Land Rover. One of our guests was Mr Miller, my former junior school teacher. He was fascinated by our planned route, as outlined on the map displayed at the party. Noticing we would be driving through Nigeria, he said we should look up his old friend Phil from college days, who lived there with his wife. He wrote down the contact details. We entered the sprawling town of Joss, wondering how we would find the couple. Excuse me, do you know where Phil and Mary Osborne live? I called out to a white lady who was walking along the street in amongst the locals. Oh, sure, you need to drive straight ahead for two blocks, then turn right down to the intersection and turn left by the gas station. You'll find their house 200 yards down on the left, in a ward compound where the mission dispensary is, instructed the helpful American. Cheers! I waved to her with thanks as Alec drove us on, following her directions. Hello, hello, is anyone there? I called, standing before the mosquito screen door of the little house we assumed to be the Osborns. Yes, what can we do for you? replied a grey-haired stocky man who came to open the door. His wife was in the background, sitting at the kitchen table and peeling potatoes. Do you remember Dusty Miller? I asked. Why, yes, I do, he replied quizzically. He was my former teacher. When he knew we were driving through Nigeria, he suggested we might call by and see you. So here we are, I explained. We introduced ourselves and they welcomed us into the lounge of their simply furnished home. Sit yourselves down over there, Mary gestured as she brought in a tray of glasses and a jug of ice-cold, refreshing water. Oh, what a treat! I exclaimed. Thank you. During our conversation, which continued throughout the afternoon, we discovered that Phil and Mary were missionaries. They kindly invited us to stay, although we would sleep in our Land Rover, securely parked in their guarded compound. After a delicious supper of fish and chips, we went with them to watch students play a basketball match at Hillcrest Mission School. Sunday morning, after a scrumptious breakfast of fruit, cereal, fried eggs, bacon, toast and tea, we joined the couple in their Volkswagen Beetle. Phil drove five miles into the surrounding hilly countryside to a mud church that had a mud altar and pews too. Seventeen people were there, all told. Men sat on the right, women and children on the left. The elderly had deeply scored marks on their faces, an old traditional practice. Phil led the service and the congregation sang hymns with no books or any instruments. 
The service was simple and meaningful, even though we could not understand the Hausa language. Afterwards, we visited a local family who lived in a group of interconnecting round-thatched mud huts. The only entrance was into the largest hut, where we stooped down to go under the low door frame. It was dark and cool inside. There were no windows, and we could just make out the inhabitants. An elderly man sat on his mud bed, which was raised on mud legs to allow a fire to burn underneath in the cold weather. A young girl sat with a nine-day-old baby tied on her back with a cloth. The baby's mother was out collecting firewood. An older woman was also present. In the centre of the room in the sunken earth were the ashes of a fire from which smoke had blackened the grass roof above. During the conversation, Phil asked the old man if he had thought any more about Christianity. The old man shook his head and declared he still believed in the ways of his ancestors. Phil prayed for the well-being of the family. Leaving their home, we walked past the mud corn bins and the giant poisonous cacti hedge that encircled the homestead to ward off roaming animals. We returned to the Osborne's comfy house to enjoy a delicious Sunday roast beef dinner with tasty vegetables, followed by Alex's favourite, ice cream and chocolate sauce. The following day, I took the opportunity to do some washing in luxury. Mary put her dirty clothes into her washing machine. Afterwards, I rinsed them thoroughly, enjoying the abundance of available water, and then pegged the wet clothes on the washing line to dry. After sterilising our water tanks with Milton tablets to stop algae growing, I gave the interior of the Land Rover a general clean and sort out. Meanwhile, Alec did an overall maintenance check. At four in the afternoon, Phil and Mary took us on a fun outing to a recently opened safari park where we saw pygmy, hippopotami, elephants, leopards and monkeys. Relaxing in the evening, we quizzed Phil and Mary about their life as missionaries. Whatever we do, be it educational, agricultural or medical, it's a means of sharing the gospel with the local people, said Phil. Well, what do you mean by gospel? I inquired, not being very familiar with that term, even though I had attended Sunday school as a child, likewise Alec. Gospel? Well, in a nutshell, it's telling about the coming of Jesus Christ and how he died for us sinners and rose again, Phil replied. In believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, you can go to heaven. Yes, it's true, I know I'm going to heaven, Mary exclaimed with confidence. How can she say that? I questioned as we lay in bed that night, mosquito net well tucked in under the bed's firm cushions to keep the buzzing bugs out and away from sucking our blood. What arrogance, I continued. Okay, she's been doing good for umpteen years, but my life's been pretty good too, caring for people. How can she be so sure? Yes, you can hope that you do enough good to weigh the scales down against the bad stuff you might do, Alec responded. How can anyone even know if there is a heaven and hell? Exactly. Not sure I agree with them trying to convert the local people. Why don't they leave them in peace with their own beliefs? I said. Surely it's cultural that people believe what their family has always believed in. Puzzled and somewhat miffed, we drifted off to sleep. Following an interesting four-day stay, it was time to continue our journey. After another delicious lunch at Mary and Phil's table, we prepared to leave. 
We'd like you to take this Bible with you, said Phil as he handed us a copy of the Living Bible. Maybe you can discover something new if you're willing to take the time to read what it says. It's a modern paraphrased edition. Oh, thanks. And thanks too for such a great time and all the wonderful meals, we said as we each gave Phil and Mary a hug. Goodbye and God bless, they called out and waved as we left the mission compound. It felt good to be back on the road again with new adventures before us. We took the route northwest towards Madugri, en route to Cameroon. The narrow tarmac road was in a desperate state, full of potholes and rough edges. Only really enough room for one vehicle, so it was quite hairy when another vehicle came towards us. Overturned trucks were left abandoned down the banks of the road. Alec drove with total concentration and I kept quiet. Bang! Oh no, that sounded like a rear spring braking. I was afraid that might happen. I need to pull over. Fortunately, there was a level piece of rough land to drive onto. Let's have a cup of tea, I suggested, feeling rather tense and tired after 60 miles of driving along the hazardous road. Good idea, Alec replied as he looked beneath the vehicle at the broken leaf spring. Sitting quietly together in the back of the Land Rover, we sipped the hot tea with a dash of sugar in to lift our spirits and Alec hatched a plan. I reckon we should backtrack and return to Joss. At least we know there are mechanics and spare parts there, whereas we have no idea what's ahead at Madugri. Alec turned the Land Rover around and retraced the route back. Hey, watch out! shouted Alec as the local Land Rover suddenly overtook us at breakneck speed towards a corner too. Crazy fools! Wham! Crash! Yikes, they've hit a huge boulder! Quick, let's see how badly injured they are! Alec drove quickly to the scene of the accident and I jumped out to find three dazed Nigerians emerging from the rammed Land Rover. Two of the men had streams of blood trickling down their faces. I grabbed clean tea towels to use as dressings and had the men put pressure on their wounds as they all clambered into the back of our vehicle. Wimpy camp! Wimpy camp! One of the men kept repeating and pointing ahead. Alec drove on as fast as he dared whilst nursing the broken spring. After 35 miles we came to the Wimpy construction camp. Oh no! What have we here? exclaimed the British site manager. We came across one of your Land Rovers wrapped around a boulder and brought your injured men into here. Alec explained as someone else quickly summed up the situation and took the injured men to hospital in the camp ambulance. And what about the Land Rover? Oh, that's a write-off. Alec replied as he bent down to check the state of our rear springs. Damn, that's the third new one written off in a month the manager declared. But hey, what's up with yours? Broken spring. Say no more. Take your Land Rover around to our workshop and my mechanics can fix it overnight. Our air-conditioned guest room is vacant. I hear there's roast duck on the menu for supper and drinks are on the house. It's movie night too, on the big screen. Alec and I looked in astonishment at each other. Okay, sounds great, thanks, responded Alec. It was a terrific night, all round. We were up at six for a delicious full English breakfast with the contractors before they started work in the cool of the early morning. 
When we collected the Land Rover, our jaws dropped as we discovered they had fitted brand new suspension, complete rear springs with shock absorbers on both sides. The still serviceable parts that were removed we took along with us. Bearing in mind the country's fuel crisis, they generously topped up the vehicle with free petrol too. Then, as an extra special touch, we spied the words Wimpy Joss, Bouchy Road, sign-painted in black on the side of Dad's wooden box up on the roof rack. What a unique souvenir. Total distance driven, 6,478 miles. You've been listening to a reading from Strangers Like Angels with a Devil or Two to Boot by Alec and Jan Foreman, presented by Explore More. Explore More is an adventure lifestyle brand founded on the 1977 travel stories of Alec and Jan Foreman with a passion to inspire people to explore more of the world, engage with others and embrace global cultures to ensure a greater understanding for each other and enable positive progression. Discover great products and more on exploremore.com. That's E-X-P-L-M-O-R-E dot com.